Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can schedule sessions based on what's most convenient for you, and you don't have to wait weeks to be seen. And BuzzFeed Daily listeners can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed. Go to Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed for 65% off your first month. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. Peacock streaming new movies every week at PeacockTV.com. We'll have the Twilight Saga. I never felt more alive. Selma. We must march. Plus Bad Boys 1 and 2 and Shrek 1 and 2. So good to be home. Tons of blockbuster hits you can't not watch. Sign up at PeacockTV.com. The Gangster Chronicles podcast is a weekly conversation that revolves around the underworld. From criminals and entertainers to victims of crime and law enforcement, we cover all facets of the game. Gangster Chronicles podcast doesn't glorify or promote illicit activities. We just discuss the ramifications and repercussions of these activities. Because after all, if you play gangster games, you are ultimately rewarded with gangster prizes. Our Heart Radio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find the Gangster Chronicles podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. Victoria's Secret is ditching its angels for a new definition of sexy. Paris Jackson and Willow Smith are getting candid about growing up in the public eye. And we're talking all about the In the Heights colorism controversy with Monica Castillo. It's June 17th, 2021. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Stephen LeConte. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. Stephen, do you remember um, the woman who went viral after putting Gorilla Glue in her hair? Yes, of course I do. Why? (laughs) Okay, so her name is Tessica Brown, and she's coming out with her own hair product. What? (laughs) I know, I know. Okay, so at first I was like, hmm, the hair product from the girl who put Gorilla Glue in her hair? But no. So, okay, actually, I think it's actually really cool. It's a hair growth oil. That she's been working on because she had to grow out oh, all of her hair. Oh, right, right, right. And okay, so yeah. if, if anyone knows about that, she does. <laughs> okay, so is this a product specifically for people who have put Gorilla Glue in their hair? And you-, <laughs> you know what? That we'll have to ask her. <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad she's making a buck off this thing. I mean, oh, it went yes. so viral. She deserves to make some money off of it. 100%. Okay, so... Moving on, Victoria's Secret is swapping out its famous angels for a new definition of sexy. The famous lingerie brand has just unveiled a new diverse lineup of spokeswomen, which includes actress Priyanka Chopra Jonas, American soccer player Megan Rapinoe, and Brazilian transgender model Valentina Sampaio. This is a huge change for the brand and comes three years after its chief marketing officer, Ed Razik, quit after saying the public wasn't interested in seeing plus size or transgender models. Martin Waters, its current chief executive, is quoted in today's New York Times and put it this way, quote, when the world was changing, we were too slow to respond. We needed to stop being about what men want and to be about what women want. 
I mean, here's the thing. On on its face, mm-hmm. I think it's a mm-hmm. good, mm-hmm. positive move. I mean, obviously, Casey, and I'm sure you thought these same things reading that. Like, you know, I do think it's interesting that apparently Victoria's Secret is run by so many men. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, is, that is the big thing. I will say among my friend group that Victoria's Secret isn't the go-to place because it's like, well, we're looking for products for women, probably by women, to be honest. Right. You know, re- hearing these names like Ed left and now Martin's in, I am yeah. like, why, why are any of these guys <laughs> running the company you know i know and then there's always that hint of you know when he says we're gonna stop being about what men want and to be about what women want i'm like oh i think it's gonna be about money at the end of the day if we're if we're being (laughs) real honest here (laughs) yes absolutely i mean look i love megan rapino so any opportunity they want to give her i'm very excited about (laughs) i i I will admit like okay i mean it's cool to get rid of the whole angel concept but uh Casting Priyanka Chopra Jonas is not exactly like totally subverting like mm-hmm. beauty standards. I mean, she is a conventionally very stunning woman. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I think what this points to is just more diversity across the board. Mm-hmm. And that at the end of the day is definitely a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Yes, that's fair. <laughs> Okay, good. We solved it. Well, (laughs) (laughs) moving on, Paris Jackson and Willow Smith are opening up about what it's like growing up in the public eye. In the latest episode of the show Red Table Talk, Jackson, who you know, of course, as the daughter of Michael Jackson, talked about how she's been going to therapy, explaining to Smith, quote, It's always been pretty gnarly, my social anxiety. I experience audio hallucinations sometimes of camera clicks and severe paranoia. Willow Smith, the famous daughter of actors Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith, could relate. She told Jackson that, quote, I definitely feel like in a lot of my personal relationships, mostly friendships, that I'm very paranoid about information. Paris went on to say her PTSD means she has nightmares and rarely goes outside during the daytime. I mean, that's just truly something that I can't relate to, but that sounds so absolutely traumatizing. I mean, when we're talking uh, about Paris Jackson, we're talking about Michael Jackson and the amount of press that he received in his lifetime. It it makes complete sense that this is how she feels. Yeah, you know, it just points to um, a very strong belief I have, which is that paparazzi should not be allowed to photograph children. I think it is a really traumatizing thing. And like these kids did not sign up for the public life. It also reminds me, by the way, that Michael Jackson put veils over his kids. Uh, I remember Paris, when she was little, was always in a veil. And like, I think at the time, people kind of laughed at that and thought it was just him being like, like, you know, a wacky guy. But in truth, I think there was something very important behind him doing that because those kids had basically no anonymity, you know? And then I liked what Willow was saying because it's like, yeah, how awful must that be to be so guarded with your information? You can't just like tell your friend a secret without fear that like the public's going to know about it. Yeah, very messed up. So as we talked about on the podcast, Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights dropped last Friday amid a weekend of social media backlash. Viewers wondered why there weren't any dark-skinned Afro-Latinos in any of the leading roles, and they weren't holding back. Things got so heated that Miranda issued an apology via Twitter soon after, saying that he appreciated the honest feedback and promised to, quote, do better. And, you know, it all highlights the longstanding issues of colorism in the entertainment industry and the limitations that still exist despite any progress that's been made. To help us dive into this story, we're talking to journalist Monica Castillo, who recently wrote all about it in the NPR piece, The Limitations of Latina Dad, How Colorism Haunts in the Heights. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. 
So, you know, in your piece, you talk about experiencing the film as someone of Latin heritage. What did you think of the film on a personal and emotional level? Oh, on a personal level, I loved it. I really connected with a lot of the characters. It re- it brought me back home. It brought me back to growing up and listening to salsa. You know, there's loving close-ups of the food on Abuela's table. All, all of these things, like, just really, like, it was like a sensory journey back into my memories. Even though I didn't grow up in the Heights, per se, and, um, you know, it's, it's the celebration of different Caribbean you know, heritages. So you have Dominicans, you have Puerto Ricans, and you have Cubans. And getting to see that mix so beautifully represented, I really, I really enjoyed it at first. And then, of course, there's a lot of conversation that's come up. And the thing of it is, is not everyone's going to feel represented. And we have to make space for that, too. And I think, you know, the conversation has since, you know, kind of changed. And a lot more people have sounded off. And I think it's an important conversation to have. And, you know, a lot of us have had this conversation before. I think also in the piece I've mentioned, like Crazy Rich Asians also had the issues of colorism brought up. number of movies have over the years. And if we even go back historically, well, then even more movies have this problem. Oh, yeah. We're right. going to get yeah. into that a little bit. <laughs> All right. I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> no, there's a lot to say. Yeah. So, like, what's your take on what people are saying about the lack of dark-skinned Afro-Latino representation? You mentioned in your piece how a lot of the responses have just felt unsatisfying. Is it your sense that people still don't get it? I mean, I think we kind of saw that with Rita Moreno's response on The Colbert Show. That was really disheartening to hear. But I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen it on social media that people are, you know, kind of writing off the criticisms as, you know, nitpicking or, you know, you wait your turn. And it's so dismissive. And it's really, I don't even think that people realize that they're being harmful, but it's very harmful to keep telling people that, no, you can stay in the shadows. You know, there is so much anticipation ahead of the movie. Do you think that only heightened expectations and gave the film a certain responsibility that it then didn't meet? I mean, that's one part of it. But I think a part of it is we just don't get to see the Latinx community represented on screen. Um, I think I cited the USC Annenberg study that uh, showed that in the top 100 movies of the past like decade, only about 5% even have... Latino people in a speaking role. And that's supporting character that's, you know, you know, not even the main lead. If, if we were to look at the leads, that number is even lower. A single digits for a population that's almost 20% of the country and, and a majority of ticket buyers. I mean, our numbers keep going up. I think in the last MPAA study, we were about 25 to 30% of ticket buyers. And there's some that have estimated that we are even a bigger portion of the movie going population. And yet, we're still being left off screen. Well, I'm glad you brought up the ticket buyers aspect of this because I feel like in Hollywood, it all comes down to money. Like at the end of the day, it's show business, emphasis on business. So do you think moments like this and conversations like this will start impacting the broader entertainment industry? Like, are we at a point where they have to start listening? I would love if they would start listening (laughs) so we don't have to continue having these conversations with each, you know, little token film that we get every every couple years to celebrate. Um, I think 
there's still a lot of prejudice of it. And then I'm I'm a little afraid with the sort of, you know, box office sort of story that's come out. The main narrative is that, oh, it only made $11 million at the box office, ergo it's a flop. When if you, Franklin Leonard did a really great tweet thread sort of breaking down. Actually, if you look at, you know, the Conjuring sequels, which a lot of people have been raving about as a success, that their box office was also 40%, down 40%. You know, the original estimation was almost like 20 million for uh, In the Heights opening weekend. And Mamma Mia, which ran on Broadway forever and had Meryl Streep and had a lot of things going for it that In the Heights didn't have, that only made 27 point something million. So it does feel like there's a little unreal expectations and then people are kind of holding on to that and like they're going to use it they're going to weaponize it and say like oh these movies don't make money i'm afraid that the discourse which is a vital discourse and something that needs to happen uh, over the conversation around colorism especially because it's a hollywood problem it's not an in the heights problem i think that's one of the things to sort of distinguish i'm afraid that some executives are going to hold on to it and say that see this is too complicated we're not going to touch these movies Mm-hmm, exactly. Well, we'll be right back to talk more about In the Heights and where Hollywood can go from this point. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love and support support you're not getting from your current sports bra it's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market it's time to feel real support from SheFit. save ten dollars today at shefit.com 2022 what grows in the forest trees sure know what else grows in the forest our imagination our sense of wonder and our family bonds grow too because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. What's up, what's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Welcome back. We're talking with Monica Castillo about the controversy surrounding the movie In the Heights. You know, so this opens up the whole conversation about systemic issues of racism within the entertainment industry. Can you talk to us a little bit about the reality of Hollywood colorism and show business and some of the history behind it? I know you touched on it a little bit before. Certainly. I mean, it's a deep, deep, deep issue within the industry. I mean, racism is one of the building blocks of Hollywood, whether or not they want to admit it, that's its own issue. But 
they would purposely leave out actors of color and they would, you know, put white actors in yellow face or black face, whatever the case may be. There's all different kinds of stories. In my article, I sort of cited the fact that Hattie McDaniel, who was an Oscar winner for her role in Gone with the Wind, was barely given any opportunities outside of maid or servant roles because of the color of her skin, but someone who was lighter complected like Dorothy Dandridge, who granted still faced plenty of obstacles and lots of discrimination in the industry. She was seen as a potential leading lady. I also cited the fact that Rita Hayworth changed a lot of her appearance, changed her name, which was originally Margarita Carmen Casino, in order to be able to have a career in Hollywood. And how tragic is that? Also, uh, there was a wonderful episode of You Must Remember This, Karina Longworth's uh, podcast, that looked into the fact that Meryl Oberon, another classic Hollywood star, hid her biracial origins. She was actually from Bombay in India from way back when. And she had to, you know, cover that. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been able to, you know, have the career that she had. And, you know, even Rita Moreno, who played... Anita in West Side Story, they actually darkened her complexion. And she talks about that in her documentary. And she's talked about that before because they wanted to make the Puerto Rican seem darker. But she was playing second fiddle to a white actress playing a Puerto Rican in the lead role of Maria, which who was Natalie Wood. Right. You know, one thing I've picked up from these conversations is it seems like there's this deeper issue that stems from colorism within U.S. Latino and Latin American culture. You just called out a bunch of examples of like colorism affecting like Hollywood and sort of adhering to like and conforming to white Hollywood. Do you see a certain like level of privilege and colorism in Latin made media? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like the issues with telenovelas and Telemundo and Univision, a lot of the main places where U.S. Latino people will see media and they'll get telenovelas made from Mexico or Brazil or wherever, uh, or Colombia may be produced, and then we get to watch it here. They are notorious for basically whitewashing entire populations throughout Latin America. So one of the examples that I cited in that article was the fact that Yelitsa Aparicio, the lead star of Alfonso Cuaron's Roma, who got a lot of attention, got awards, got so much praise, there were still people who were saying that she doesn't represent them. You know, they were calling her names. They were saying that she was ugly. They were picking on her for her looks. And there was even one magazine cover that lightened her skin. So it is very extremely prevalent. And what happens and what's something I didn't get into the article because it could have kept going. Um, there is a lot more writing and videos out there. Actually, Felice Leon, the journalist who asked the director, John M. Chu, in the Heights about those questions of like, hey, where are the dark skin Afro-Latinos in the movie and the leading roles? She also made a really great video kind of explaining why Latinidad as a concept, as an identity is you know, kind of harmful to indigenous and Afro-Latino folks because it creates this sort of bland, like, you must look like this if you're a Latino. And that leaves out a lot of people, especially indigenous and Afro-Latino folks. Well, you know, you just mentioned John Chu and then Early, you also mentioned Rita Moreno. It's interesting that in defending either the film or Lin-Manuel Miranda, prominent figures like them have stepped into hot water. So what did you make of their responses and how it speaks to the division? I think that it kind of speaks to how much this is an unconscious bias, you know, to go back to those sort of sociological terms. They don't even realize that this is a problem or that they've, you know, internalized this for so long. I know that, like... 
I had to grow up with this. One of the things that I was going to say was that in Latin American countries, there's still this sort of favoritism for Eurocentricity, you know, the features, the lighter hair, the bluer eyes, and that's not reflective of all of the different cultures and people who are in these areas. But, you know, I grew up with that and I had to deal with it and I had to unpack it and learn, you know, why it was so harmful and why it's terrible. And then Rita Moreno, I know she grew up with it too and not even realizing it, telling the quote unquote critics or or anyone who spoke out against this movie to essentially hush is so damaging. It's reaffirming the thing that we've been taught for so long. John Chu made some really interesting comments because it also ties into colorism without even realizing it. Because one of his answers kind of ties with, you know, we chose the best people for the parts. And that is a refrain I have heard from white directors time and time again. I've basically been covering, you know, issues of race and representation for most of my career. It's not uncommon for a white director like, well, we just cast who, you know, we thought was best for the part. Sometimes the people who are, quote unquote, best for the part tend to have a fuller resume because they've had more opportunities, whereas folks who are darker skin and may not be able to have those opportunities because people continue to erase them, exclude them. And then, you know, they don't get the practice or they don't get the opportunities to prove that they can do it. Um, So it was really kind of disheartening that he, you know, kind of bought into that old adage and reaffirmed those implicit biases. Mm -hmm. You know, finally, you also write about how it's difficult to expect any one piece of work to encapsulate the entirety of experiences and please everyone. Amongst the online discussion, there's been this idea of duality, that this film can be important and mean so much, but at the same time have massive faults. What's your take on that and on how Hollywood can use this moment to hopefully work toward meaningful progress? Oh, I'm totally in the duality camp because obviously like this movie really means a lot to me. I have I've seen it now. My goodness, five times, Wow! <laughs> twice in a theater, three times at home. And each time I've cried. There's there's just such an emotional connection with this movie for me. But I can also acknowledge that it's missing for other people. It fell short in these other ways. It doesn't mean that it's inherently terrible or, you know, we're canceling it, whatever that means. Or, you know, we'd never want to see it screened again. It's that there is a way to move forward. We can do better and we should do better and we should absolutely strive to do better. I mean, if we are really advocating for representation on in our media, we got to know how to do that intersectionally. We have to know what it is that we can do better because otherwise we're going to stagnate. We're going to let things, you know, stay status quo and we're going to continue to exclude people. Mm. Well, Monica, truly, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week. Come back and join us on Monday. And remember, Juneteenth is now a federal holiday, but depending on where you live, your high school history class won't be able to teach you about it. Learn about it on your own. No excuses. BuzzFeed Daily is produced by Dan Bauza, Joshua Burnley, Tanya Bustos, Julia Karen, and Erica Nedanin. Special thanks to Samantha Hennig and Tommy Wesley. Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of what you love about BuzzFeed, coming to you daily. What event comes once a year and could change how you see the world around you? The answer... 
when your vision benefits renew. And now that they have, there's no better time to visit your neighborhood Pearl Vision, where they'll cover your out-of-pocket cost or insurance copay for your eye exam. Schedule your family's eye exams at pearlvision.com. Valid prescription required. Valid at participating locations. Restrictions apply. Taxes extra. See store for details. Ends 4-30-2022. Exams available at the Independent Doctors of Optometry at or next to Pearl Vision. Some doctors employed by Pearl Vision. What grows in the forest? Our imagination and our family bonds. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. NFL fans, nothing compares to being there live. What a play! Now the crowd is alive. And the NFL's biggest season ever is now ready for the postseason. It's playoff time. We got to win. NFL playoff tickets are on sale now. Don't miss your chance to be a part of the postseason action on the road to Super Bowl 56. Visit NFL.com slash tickets for a complete listing of games. That's NFL.com slash tickets.